0: Empire. We now know where Julio Jones is going to be playing in 2022 because today the Tennessee Titans and Atlanta Falcons agreed to a trade where um, the Atlanta Falcons are going to be getting a 22 second round pick and a. I mean, the Falcons are getting a 22 second round pick and a 20, 23 fourth round pick, and the Titans get Julio Jones and a 2023 um, sixth round pick. Compensation seems pretty comparable to the uh, Hayden Hurst trade that the uh, Falcons made last year. Falcons got. Um, Hayden Hurst in a twenty twenty fourth round pick for a 2020 second-and-fifth-round pick. Falcons really wanted a first-round pick. Um, couldn't get that in return for Julio Jones. What I really wanted to see was the potential to have a first-round pick but have these picks be conditional where it became a first-round pick if Jones made the Pro Bowl in 2022 or performed at the highest level for a 32-year-old receiver. Um, We've had 85 receptions hit 14 times by a 32-year-old, 1,375 yards hit 10 times by a 32-year-old. So if he would have hit either one of those thresholds, I would have liked to have seen it become a first-round pick, which is not going to happen, and then have the opposite um, condition for the fifth-round pick, where if he couldn't do what he did last year, 51 catches, 771 yards, and then the fifth-round pick got voided. Now. Titans' um, second-round pick is going to be a late-round pick, uh, presumably, because you figure they're going to be now the odds-on favorite um, to win the AFC South. So what does this do for the Atlanta Falcons? Well, Falcons only had $285,693 of salary cap space, according to NFLPA data. So they haven't signed any of their non-draft picks. The draft class is going to take up. $13,048,199. $13,048,199. Now, that's not all you need for the cap space, at least for now, because under offseason accounting rules, only the top 51 salaries count. So the net change when you start factoring the top 51 is going to be $6,224,912. So they now sign the draft picks. Well, what's going to happen with Julio is his cap number was counting on the books for Atlanta at $23.05 million. Well, that $15.3 million salary he was supposed to make now goes to Tennessee. So that's going to leave $7.75 million in dead money. So that frees up $15.3 million of cap space, but at the same time, since he's coming out of the top 51, somebody else is coming in. So that's probably going to be someone with a $780,000 cap number. So when you look at it, um Falcons are now after the trade going to have basically 1480 cap space, sign the draft picks. With the net change and um from the top 51 they're going have about about 8.5 8.6 million dollars cap space. And then once you have the change from top 51 to everything counting on September 9th depending upon usually that's like 3 to 5 million they're they're going to be okay. They're going to be okay now cap wise. Now, 2022 the Falcons are going to have $15.5 million of dead money. That's from the bonus proration um, associated with Julio Jones' 2022 and 2023 cap year. So that's actually going to be a savings of they're going to pick up $3.763 million of cap space in 2022 because Julio's cap number was 19. 263 million. That's the same cap number he he had for 2023. He's off the books in 2023. So, Falcons are going to get $19.263 million of cap space in 2023 with the trade. Now, what this means is Calvin Ridley is their clear number one receiver. He was the 26th overall pick in 2018. Um, They picked up the fifth year option for him this year for 2022 which will be $11.116 million that is fully guaranteed. Um, he had a breakout season last year of 90 catches, 1,374 receiving yards, and nine touchdown catches. So if he can do anything remotely close to that in 2021, presumably next year he gets a new contract. If I'm him, I'm going, hey, you paid Julio Jones $22 million per year and new money on the extension, $66 million over three a year. That's my starting point if I can do that again. That's what I asked for. If I'm Calvin Ridley, this also means Kyle Pitts has to be as good as advertised, a fourth overall pick at tight end. He needs to come in out the box and perform at a Pro Bowl level for the Falcons to have any type of real success this year. Now, Titans are clearly in win-now mode. Um, That's the only reason you do a trade like this um, if you're the Titans. (laughs) The Titans now, with uh, Julio coming aboard, um, have filled partially the void from having Jonu Smith and Corey Davis leaving free agency. Um, Davis' fifth-year option was not picked up um, by the Titans. Had it been picked up, he was going to be making fifteen point six eight million this year. Julio's coming in for fifteen three. You have to think that Julio is an upgrade over Corey Davis. I know Julio's 32 years old, but a couple things to take into account of Julio. He averaged 85.7 receiving yards per game last year, seventh in the NFL. After um, everyone's played eight games last year, he played six of them, he's averaging 97.3 receiving yards per game. That was third in the NFL, behind Devontae Adams and DK Metcalf. That's even better in his career, averaging 95.5, which is the best in NFL history for anyone who's had a minimum of 100 games. Second is Calvin Johnson at 86.1. So I still think there's gas left to take for Julio. It was a hamstring problem last year. Didn't tear his ACL. Didn't tear his Achilles. So I think this is going to put in Titans as the favorites for the AFC South. They still have to contend with the Kansas City Chiefs to get out of the AFC. The Buffalo Bills were 13-3 and last year. You still have the Ravens hanging around. By no means does this make them the odds-on favorite, I would think, to get out of the AFC, not as long as Patrick Mahomes is there and they've revamped that offensive line in Kansas City. Now, he's got three years left on his contract, Julio, for $38.326 million. Now, the Falcons take all that, I mean the Titans take all that on. Now, there's one problem. They only have $3.9 million of cap space. So, you have to have enough cap space to absorb somebody's contract. When you take him on. So something's going to have to give here. That means Falcons, I mean the Titans, probably have to restructure a contract. That's one route to get enough cap room. The obvious choice to restructure a contract is quarterback Ron Tannehill. He's got a $24.5 million base salary. The Titans have automatic conversion rights in his contract. They don't necessarily have to go to him and say, hey, we need you to restructure the contract. They can do it. He... The way the terms of these automatic conversion rights read, the player is obligated to sign a new contract, which reflects the restructure, or they're considered in breach or default. And if you're in breach or default, typically your guarantees would void. So Ryan Tannehill also wants Julio Jones on the team, so there's going to be no problem if they go that route. Now, considering he's got a $24.5 million base salary, you can get as much as $15,616,666 from a Ryan Tannehill restructure if you lower his base salary down to $1.075 million. That's the max you could get. That's if you lowered his base salary down that and you converted everything else into... Um, Signing bonus that'd be 23.425 million. You could obviously convert less in the signing bonus, you get less cap room, but that's the max you could get. Another thing is they could add two voiding dummy years if they wanted more cap room, voiding dummy years into 2024 and 2025. This contract expires after 2023. Drop his base salary down to his league minimum 1.075 million, then you are going to get 18.74 million of um cap relief if you do that now the only problem is if you do that you didn't have dead money in 2024 you have two years of proration hitting the cap in 2024 which would be 9.3, 9.37 million so um, i suspect if they're going to restructure tanny Hill's contract they're not going to want to add the dummy boarding years you could do a partial restructure, but then you also have to attack Julio's contract on the way in the door, which would require the Julio and the uh, Titans agreeing to what it would look like afterwards, and the Falcons actually executing the change. Now, there are a couple of things you could do, because Julio's not going to take pay. Cut. He probably thinks he's underpaid at $38.326 million left on his contract. $15.3 million base salary, you can do what happened with Kiko Alonso uh, a couple of years ago in a trade to um from Miami to the Saints at the roster cut down in twenty nineteen. They shifted a part of his base salary in two thousand nineteen into a March roster bonus, which is fully guaranteed. Now Julio's base salary is already fully guaranteed. So what you how this would work is let's say you lowered his base salary, I'm just using a number for illustrative purposes. Say you lowered his base salary from fifteen point three to ten. That mean, you have to restructure someone from the Titans, but but 10 million is less than the 15.3 after absorb. So that means his 2022 base salary would go up. Not base salary, total salary would go up by 5.3 million. Let's say the 5.3 million is in a first day of the league year roster bonus. You'd have to have no offsets with that roster bonus to put him in the same place. Julio also has a two million dollar base salary guarantee for 2022. In addition to that. Because Julio's contract predates the new CBA in the 17th game edition. Players who had contracts signed before the new CBA was ratified last March, they get a 17th game check if they're on injured reserve or the 50 Ram roster. As of the 17th game, if you make a substantial, you have made a substantial modification to the contract. A simple contract restructure, like we're talking about for Tannehill, would not be something which would affect the 17th game check. What we're doing, talking about Julio, would affect his ability to make a 17th game check. So we've seen this done in other cases, um, like when the um, Texans. Modified Brandon Cooks' contract. They added 17th game roster bonuses in. So he is no worse off than he would have been had he done nothing. So you'd have to add a $900,000 roster bonus in in 2021, a $677,235 roster bonuses in 2022 and 2023 for 17th game. Um, so who will be in the same place he would be otherwise? Now, with him shifting money down to 2023, he may not be any. He may be. I haven't. Check to see exactly where it would be math wise, but he's probably not going to be any worse off and maybe a little bit better if he did that just because of the way base salaries are now going to be paid starting with the 2021 season. Because he it was already going to go to players getting paid instead of over the 17 week season, twice the number of the weeks of the regular season. So now we've got an 18 week regular season game, 18 regular season, 18 weeks in the regular season you are getting paid over 36 weeks. So that payment's going to stretch out. I think that puts you April, May. So if he gets the a bulk of the money or some portion of it in a March roster bonus and it's payable upon execution or shortly thereafter, he might come out better off in terms of a payment schedule or be no worse off. Now, another way you can do this is an option bonus. And this is something... If both these op- these things, shifting the money down in the 2022 into a roster bonus has to be done pre-trade. Let's say you did an option bonus. if You would, you could cut his base salary down even lower. Let's say you cut it to 5.3. Um, still would have to restructure a contract, but it would be a small restructure. And you turn 10 into an option bonus. To ensure that the option is exercised, you would have to have the base salary be... Since it's going to be 11.513, because so that's his base salary in 2022 and 2023, you'd add 10 to that, so it's 21.513, and it would reduce if the option is exercised, because that huge cap number would ensure that um, you have the um, option exercised. And let's say you add two voiding dummy years to it, and you got the 10 million dollar option bonus. You got a three-day window, first or third day of the league year, to exercise it. And you take that 10 million, you prorate it out. 2022 to 2025 you have five million dollars of dead money or cap charts for no one on the roster when those dummy years void after the at the end of the 2023 league year but you got the 11.53 base salary another two five in proration so you're at 14.013 is a cap number in 2022 and 2023 that's a way you can do it um as well but as it stands right now uh Something has to be done since the Falcons aren't eating any salary on the way out the door and the Titans are going to absorb the full cap hit, the full salary, the $38.326 million, Most importantly, for trade purposes, the $15.3 million salary that Julio was supposed to make in 2021. So something's got to give between doing something on the way out the door or a... By way out the door, I mean, agreeing where he's going to have some of his 2020 base salary in 2022, either through an option bonus or in a roster bonus. Or the Titans can just go ahead and restructure contracts, and uh, Ryan Tannehill is the most logical candidate for that. Hey there, it's John Kime with the John Kime Report podcast. I'm glad you're enjoying the Inside the Cap podcast with Joel Corey. When you're done, I invite you to listen to my podcast. Twice a week, my guests and I discuss the Washington football team and the NFL. The show features numerous NFL insiders, former and current players and executives, and taps into the insight gained in my 25-plus years covering this franchise. Check out the John Kahn Report, another fine product offered by Empire Media. Coincidentally... Jones's contract, Tannehill's, and Henry's all expire after the 2023 season. So we got a three-year window for the Titans to make that Super Bowl push. One thing you got to look at, uh, to me, with Julio, is the way this offense runs. His days of getting 200 targets, he had 203 targets in 2015, are over. If you look at the targets that the receivers had, Corey Davis and A.J. Brown in 2019, 153 targets. 2020, 198 combined targets. So, this means Julio's targets are going to drop tremendously, most likely. Um, The fewest targets he had since after his rookie year where he's played a majority of the games, 128 two thousand and twelve. And that's when they saw Roddy White. So he was at best one B, if not the second receiver, had over a thousand yards that year. And in two thousand sixteen he went from that career high two thousand three targets to one hundred and twenty nine in fourteen games with Mohammed Sanu. Now with the Titans, this is a run oriented offense and Derrick Henry sled leading carries the past two years. 303 carries, 2019, 300, a whopping 378 carries in 2020. That was the 19th most in any single season. He had 2,027 yards. Now, now one thing that we've seen is when you have a high usage season, like 300 carries or more, you start to decline. So... (laughs) Um, And also, something else cutting against Derrick Henry, and maybe he defies odds because he's he's superhuman, that once you have a 2,000-yard season, no one's had a 1,500-yard season the next season. There's an extra game, so that makes it more probable or possible for Henry to do it. So getting A.J., getting uh, Julio Jones helps in that regard, that now maybe you have a little more balance to the offense. Um, one thing which is now a defensive dilemma is the standpoint that the Titans, because of Derrick Henry, saw eight defenders in the box 21 on 21 point, 23.1% of their snaps last year, more than any other team in the NFL. If you want to do that and these two guys on the same side? Same same field? Jones and Brown, these guys are gonna feast. Now the question is, who gets the coverage roll to them? It's been AJ Brown, but if Julio is still close to being Julio, you can't double Brown, because then Julio's gonna run wild. Now, who gets the number one corner? Brown? Julio. It's been a long time, I'd assume, early in his career. Roddy White was last time he faced number two corners. So, that's great. So, let's say you take a man out of the box. Then, more running room for Derrick Henry. <laughs> so, you're kind of, to me, defensively, a new dynamic. Damned if you, damned if you don't. Titans haven't had... 2,000-yard receivers simultaneously since 2004, Derrick Mason and Drew Bennett, last time they had had that happen. I would think you don't want to have Derrick Henry with 378 carries again, so you're going to throw the ball a little more. The unknown variable is Anthony Fersker. We don't know what he can do, how good he's going to be, but if you got those two guys on the outside, he should have a career year. He's probably going to have one anyway of with John who with John Smith in New England. But Johnny Smith didn't get didn't get to 50, ca- fifty catches last year, so it may be really good for uh, first year as well. Because if you try to take away those receivers, middle field is going to be open. Josh Reynolds, is the slot receiver. So this is going to be interesting for first year offensive coordinator Todd Dow- Todd Downing to see how this works in terms of um, offensively. Who's the <laughs> how the defense is going to uh, react to this. Because to me, this has to be right near the top, if not the uh, top receiving tandem in the NFL. And this is predicated on Julio still being close to Julio, at least for the 2021 season. It'll be 33 and 34. We've only had one guy who's had 80 catches and 1,200 yards in the three seasons for being 32 to 34. That was Jerry Rice but I'll say Jerry Rice at 33 at the time set the NFL record for 1,848 receiving yards, so um, Julio probably isn't putting up the same numbers he did just because how run-oriented his offensive offense is, but he adds a dimension which is going to give, I would think, defense's nightmare the defenses a nightmare if he can stay healthy, so I think At least on paper, this is a home run for the Titans in terms of this trade. I don't know if they're going to be the best team in the AFC, but they should win the AFC South. I'm still not sold on Carson Wentz bouncing back from his implosion last year. But still, the uh, Colts needed another receiver, T.Y. Hilton, Michael Pittman, etc. At least the skill position guys got to love what the Titans have done. From a Falcons' standpoint, would have liked to have seen a way for them to get to a first-round pick from a conditional standpoint since they couldn't get a first-round pick. So I think from at least that standpoint, it works out a little better for the Titans for now than um, the Falcons. It's hard to judge a trade totally for a couple of years. We'll see how it looks down the road. But at least for now, I think the Titans got the better end of the deal. What's up? It's Mike Jones from the Football Jones Podcast. I know you're enjoying your time with Inside the Cap, but once you're done, I want to invite you to come over and check out my podcast. Each week, we take a deep dive into some of the most pressing topics around the NFL, high-profile guests from the coach, player, and front office ranks, as well as the top league insiders. Check out the Football Jones Podcast, another fine product brought to you by Empire Media. Thanks for listening to this week's version of Inside the Cap. Um, don't forget you can find me on Twitter. That is Corey Joel, C-O-R-R-Y-J-O-E-L. And I have my regular agent state column at CBSSports.com. We'll see you back here next time. Goodbye.